0: Hello, and welcome to World of Warbirds. I'm Brian Pierce. Are you a World of Warbirds fan? If so, please help the podcast keep going by supporting it through PayPal at World of Warbirds B17. That's at W-O-W-B-17. I'd rather not start putting stuff behind a paywall or bringing in a subscription system but it really encourages me to get your support so let's get on to this next episode have you ever known a person for a while and they were just there you knew about them but didn't really know them or appreciate them maybe they had a more popular sibling that stole all the limelight speaking as a guy who went to high school at one point i can attest that this happens You always knew that she was around, but then, one day, you noticed Betty. Design and Development The Mitsubishi G-4M, known as Betty to the Allies, was actually an update of a previous Mitsubishi bomber, the G-3M. Both medium bombers shared a major underlining design decision speed and range were to be paramount over all else. The G3M, known as Nell to the Allies, was built by Mitsubishi to answer a need by the Imperial Japanese Navy for a twin-engined land bomber capable of not only carrying bombs, but also a torpedo. Due to the insane distances involved in the fight in China and throughout the Pacific, range was considered critical And the resulting design allowed the aircraft to have a 4,400 kilometer, that's a 2,700 mile round trip. Just as a comparison, the American B-25 medium bomber had a range about half of that. The Nell was a twin-engined, tail-dragging medium bomber with twin tails and shoulder-mounted wings. Power was supplied by two Mitsubishi Kinsei 14-cylinder air-cooled radial piston engines, which turned out 1,061 horsepower. The basic design of these engines was originally based on the Pratt & Whitney R1690 Hornet, but by this time, the motors had been heavily updated. As has been said so many times in this podcast, Everything in aviation is a compromise. With power being a limitation and long-range being a must, when looking at defensive armament, protection, and speed, something had to bend. As was often the case in the Japanese philosophy, defensive armament and protection would be the ones to suffer. And this early decision would also affect, or should we say plague, the Betty in the future. And when I say suffer, I mean it. The original design of the Nell was to have no defensive weaponry at all. The plan was to have its performance at high altitude be good enough to stay above or evade enemy anti-aircraft fire, and its high speed in the attack would keep it safe at low levels. It also was sold as a sort of package deal for Mitsubishi. With its hotter, more popular, and higher-profile sister, the high-performance Mitsubishi A5M fighter, riding shotgun on operations and keeping the enemy fighters at bay. NELs first flew in 1935 and were heavily involved in the war in China, including performing bombing attacks during the battles of Shanghai and Nanjing. Although pleased with the NEL, the Imperial Japanese Navy was already looking to the future And by 1937, they put out the request specification that would lead to Betty. Basically, the specification could be seen as, quote, Give me a Nell, but with more speed and range, but with the same payload as the Nell. In order to achieve this, the designers at Mitsubishi used the same tactics as with Nell making the structure very lightweight and leaving out defensive features such as any armor protection for the crew, and passing on installing self-sealing fuel tanks. However, due to experience in China, the no-defense policy was bent somewhat with the addition of several 7.7mm guns placed in the nose on the dorsal surface and both sides of the fuselage. In the tail was mounted a powerful stinger, a 20mm cannon. In order to carry the weight of these weapons and the crew to man them, more powerful Mitsubishi MK4A Kasai Model 11 engines, driving three bladed props and generating 1,530 horsepower, were installed. The new aircraft was designated the Mitsubishi G4M, and although it looks fairly similar to its older sister with shoulder mounted wings, there were differences. Instead of the two small tails, the G4M featured a prominent single fin. Overall, the aircraft does look more solid than the Nell, which has a slightly wafy, flimsy look. We wouldn't be so rude to call the G4M fat, but she is more round, and her crews called her Hamaki, which means cigar in Japanese because of her shape. The name would also portend one of her bad habits. We'll discuss that one later. The Allies called her Betty. The story goes that when it came to name the new plane, Technical Sergeant Francis M. Williams noticed the new prominent gun blisters. He had also noticed Two prominent features of a lady friend of his named Betty, and so he named the bomber after her. Interestingly enough, the first Betty prototype, the most advanced bomber that the Japanese had at the time, traveled by five ox-drawn farm carts over unpaved roads for 30 miles to the nearest airfield, because Mitsubishi's Nagoya plant had no company airstrip. Production Although the Imperial Japanese Navy was happy with the Betty, there was some delay in ramping up production, while decisions regarding a sister aircraft variant were worked out. The G6M1 was basically a Betty but with increased numbers of cannon that would operate as a heavily armed escort gunship for other bombers, reducing or eliminating the need for escort fighters that could be used elsewhere. The U.S. Army Air Corps would try the same sort of thing by heavily upgunning a Boeing B-17 bomber, calling it the B-40, and using them to protect formations of B-17s. It didn't work for the Japanese any more than it did for the Americans, and so after building about 30 of them, they shelved the idea of the G-6M-1, and Mitsubishi was asked to build as many Bettys as possible. In the end, they built 2,435 examples of all variants. Although there was to be a replacement for the Betty, the demands on the Yokosuka P1Y were perhaps just too much to be workable. It was hoped that it would be as fast as a zero, with the same range as Betty, with a similar bomb load, but the ability to also dive-bomb as well as carry and drop torpedoes. Although they built 1,000 of these, there were so many problems resulting from excess complexity and poor serviceability that they never really replaced the Betty. Very much like the American B-25 or the German HE-111, they just kept on building them, modifying them, flying them, and finding new uses for the Betty right up to, and I do mean right up to, the end of hostilities. There were four main variants to the Betty. The G4M1 Model 11 started off with Mitsubishi MK4A Kasai Model 11 engines driving three-blade propellers and generating 1530 horsepower. Later, in 1942, The new and more powerful Mitsubishi MK4E Kasei Model 15 engines were installed, and in August 1942, these were supplemented with larger superchargers for better high altitude performance. In March 1943, some major concessions were made to try and solve the defensive deficiencies of the Betty when 30 mm rubber sheets were placed beneath the undersides of the fuel tanks to give them a self sealing capability. Five millimeters of armor plates were also added to the tail gunner's compartment to try to protect him. As always, something has to give, and these Bettys lost about six miles per hour in speed and about 200 miles in range. They built about 1,200 examples of the G4M1. The G4M2, which entered service in mid-1943, saw some major updates. It got new Mitsubishi MK4P Kasai Model 21 engines turning four bladed propellers. These were electrically controlled and were capable of full feathering. The wings were redesigned, this time with laminar flow airfoils, and the horizontal stabilizer area was enlarged. Overall, these changes brought the ceiling up to about 30,000 feet and speed to 272 miles per hour. Range was increased by putting in bigger fuel tanks. The G4M2 could carry more weapons too. It could haul one 2,326 pound Navy Type 91 Kai 7 aerial drop torpedo, or one big 1,800 pound bomb, or... Two smaller 1100 pound bombs or 12 130 pound bombs. The all speed no gun philosophy was fully abandoned with this variant, which sported a powered dorsal turret with a 20 millimeter cannon in addition to the cannon already in the tail, plus 7.7 millimeter machine guns in the nose, waist, and sides. External differences also included increased nose glazing, flush side mounted gun positions instead of blisters, and rounded tips of wings and tail surfaces. About 1,200 of all subvariants of the G4M2 were built. The G4M3 got fully self sealing fuel tanks, more armor protection, and completely new tail gunner's compartment. Wing design and tailplane were also tweaked. About 800 of these were built, and there were also trainer and transport versions. Operational History Betty first saw battle on the 13th of September, 1940, over mainland China when 27 Bettys, escorted by 13 A6M zeros, departed from Taipei, Omura, and Jeju City to attack Hankao. For that first year, the Bettys were highly successful and were involved in many historic attacks. They hit Clark Field in the Philippines on the 8th of December 1941 at the very start of the war against the US. One of the most notable achievements of the Betty was the sinking of the British battleships HMS Prince of Wales and HMS Repulse. When we think of torpedo planes, we usually think of single engine carrier-based aircraft such as the Japanese Nakajima B-5N Kate or the American Grumman TBM Avenger. But, as we now know, the Betty and her older sister aircraft, Nell, had been specifically designed for carrying a torpedo. Hoping to intercept a Japanese convoy bound for Malaya, A British naval force consisting of HMS Prince of Wales, Repulse, Electra, Express, Vampire, and Tenedos, sailed out from Singapore on the 8th of December. The next day, the force commander, Admiral Phillips, cancelled the mission, worried that they had lost the element of surprise, and he headed back towards Singapore. He had seen flares dropped by a Japanese seaplane and had decided that they had been spotted. Actually, they hadn't, but a few hours later, they most certainly were, when Japanese submarine I-58 saw the British ships and fired five torpedoes. The torpedoes missed, and the British never knew that they had been attacked. More significantly, though, the I-58 had radioed in the British ship's position, speed, and course. It was now up to the Japanese 22nd Air Flotilla to find and attack the British ships. On the morning of December 10, nine Nells flying out of Saigon saw one of the destroyers of the force, took it for a battleship, got excited, and dropped nine 1,100-pound armor-piercing bombs. Not only did they blow their load for a humble destroyer, they didn't even hit it. How embarrassing! However, very soon after, a scout plane to the north spotted the British main force and radioed out their exact position. During the rest of the morning, groups of Nels and Bettys would swarm in, dropping torpedoes or bombs. At 11.13, eight Nels attacked Repulse. They achieved plenty of near misses with their 550-pound bombs, but one did hit which penetrated the upper deck and exploded in the marine mess area. But damage was light and there were few casualties. Repulse kept on and had damaged five of the eight Nels by their anti-aircraft fire. About 13 minutes later, 17 more Nels showed up, this time with torpedoes loaded. Eight attacked Repulse, while the other nine went after the Prince of Wales. One now was flamed on the way in, and three more were damaged, and no torpedoes hit Repulse, but one struck Prince of Wales. This torpedo blew up where her outer port propeller shaft exited the hull. Because the propeller was turning at maximum speed, the shaft twisted and destroyed its own watertight seals, and 2,400 tons of water immediately poured in her speed dropped to half, and she started listing and was basically uncontrollable. At 12.20, 26 Betty bombers arrived on the scene and hit repulse with another three torpedoes, punching through the hull and bending the outer starboard propeller shaft, stopping it completely. At the same time, she was hit on the port side by one torpedo and then quickly after by three more. Her captain ordered the crew overboard, and only six minutes later she rolled over and sank stern first. Many, many of her crew never got out. Soon after, the limping Prince of Wales was hit by a bombing attack, listed further, and sank. The Japanese had destroyed two British capital ships with the loss of only one Nell and two Bettys. Now that's a pretty good bargain. Nine Bettys were involved in the long-range bombing raid of Catherine, Northern Territory, Australia, on the 22nd of March 1942, which was the deepest inland attack on Australian territory during the war. The Japanese hit targets over 200 miles from the coast. However, the Bettys' undeterred rampage through the Pacific, from China to Australia to the Aleutians, was about to start hitting roadblocks. As Allied AA gunnery got better, and especially as the new, more powerful, and heavily armed Allied fighters took to the air. At this point, the Japanese nickname for the Betty, Hamaki, which meant cigar, due to her fuselage shape, would become a cruel joke. Cigars burn. Allied pilots called them Cigars too, as well as Flying Lighters, The One-Shot Lighter, And the flying Zippo. Ouch, that hurts. What a burn. Grinding attrition in battles against Allied shipping and land targets during the six-month-long Guadalcanal Command in 1942 saw the destruction of over a hundred Bettys. More Bettys could be built, but the pilots and the crews were lost forever. With simply insufficient replacements coming down the training pipeline. Now, usually in these stories, when we start talking about individual missions or operations and a certain warbird is mentioned as being a participant, it is usually the attacker or the defender. Rarely is an individual warbird or person within the warbird actually the target of the operation. But that is exactly what happened on April 18th, 1943. Several days before, U.S. naval intelligence had intercepted and decoded a message alerting Japanese units that Admiral Isoruku Yamamoto, commander of the Imperial Japanese Navy, would be performing an inspection tour of the Solomons and New Guinea. The hope was that the tour would boost Japanese morale, which had slumped after the defeat and evacuation of Guadalcanal. The message included Yamamoto's itinerary and the number and types of planes that would be transporting him. On April 18, the Admiral would be flying in one of two beddies, escorted by six Navy Mitsubishi A6M Zero fighters from Rabaul to Balai Airfield, which was an island near Bougainville. Time to depart Rabaul was six o'clock, and they were to arrive in Balai two hours later at 8 o'clock. The U.S. decision to attack the little air formation or not hinged on whether it would show to the Japanese that the U.S. could read their code. It was decided that the possible payoff was worth it as the loss of Yamamoto would be a severe moral shock to the Japanese. Also, the source of the information was not to be revealed. The details of this mission which was known as Operation Vengeance, really belongs to a future episode on the P-38, which was the warbird responsible for making it happen. But what I wonder is what was going through Yamamoto's mind when the U.S. fighters struck his Betty. He must have been fairly unprepared for the possibility of battle. I mean, it was a little two-hour hop between two airfields over friendly territory. The Americans couldn't know that he was traveling there. Besides, what would be the chances of actually intercepting the fast-flying formation? Also, the bomber's guns and the surrounding Zeros must have been very comforting. When the P-38 struck, was there time for him to think? Did he want to jump up and grab one of the guns and shoot back? Was he just stupefied? Did he have any grudging respect from one warrior to another for the American's skill in reaching him? Did he have any regrets for his part in starting the war against the U.S.? Anyway, soon after spotting the Japanese formation, Lieutenant Rex T. Barber banked his P-38 hard to get in behind the bombers and lined up behind one of the Bettys, and opened up into its right engine, rear fuselage, and tail. Then Barber fired on its left engine, which began to trail smoke. Then the Betty rolled violently left and almost hit Barber and his P 38. Then the Betty augured into the jungle, causing a rising column of black smoke. Lieutenant Besby F. Holmes had engaged the other Betty, damaging its right engine, which was trailing white smoke. But Holmes' closing speed had carried him and his wingman past the Betty. Barber then pounced, fired, and his bullets caused enough metal debris to fly off the stricken Betty that it damaged his own aircraft. But the Betty descended to crash land in the water. Some survivors actually climbed out of the bomber and were later picked up. But Admiral Yamamoto was not one of them. A Japanese retrieval party found Yamamoto's body later, which had been thrown clear of the Betty's wreckage. He had been hit by two of the P-38's bullets. One had hit his left shoulder, and the other had fatally punched through his left lower jaw and exited above his right eye. Perhaps Yamamoto hadn't had many thoughts at all as he was attacked. Perhaps the only thing that went through his brain was a 50 caliber bullet. Perhaps he was one of the first to be snuffed out when Barber pulled the trigger in his P-38. We'll never know. Anyway, Bettys would continue to fight against growing odds in New Guinea, the Solomons, the South Pacific, and in defense of the Marianas, and finally, all the way back to Okinawa. One notable campaign was when the humble, designed in the 30s, Betty went up against the most modern and formidable bomber in the world, the mighty B-29. Between June and August 1944, U.S. forces had recaptured Guam and taken Saipan and Tinian in the Marianas. Almost before the fighting for these islands was complete, swarms of sea bees, or members of the United States Naval Construction Battalion, began throwing together some of the biggest military air bases in the world, hacked out of jungle and coral terrain and laid down with miles of asphalt. These were to house and support the U.S. AAF's 20th Air Force B-29 Superfortress Heavy Bombers, which were slated to attack the home islands of Japan. Within a shockingly short time of several months, the B-29s of the 21st Bomber Command began to arrive at Saipan starting in October 12th. They began flying first missions against Japanese-held islands in the Pacific in late October. Of course, Japan wasn't going to sit idly by and let itself be bombed. There were Japanese air bases within range of these B-29 bases and the fancy, shiny B-29s were a very tempting target. And, even as the Americans were starting the construction of the bases, raids were being planned and executed. Although several types of Japanese aircraft were employed on these raids, many Bettys were involved. Between June 24 and July 21, raids launched from Guam, Peleliu, Iwo Jima and Truk hit the American forces on Saipan during the fighting there but caused little damage. The U.S. 6th Night Fighter Squadron intercepted 37 of these raids and claimed three targets splashed. However, things started heating up in November when B-29s first flying over Tokyo. The very next day, 10 Bettys attacked Isley Field and Cobbler Field on Saipan at about 1 a.m. The raiders came in at low altitude and loosed their bombs on the field but caused little damage a Black Widow from the 6th Ninth Fighter Squadron managed to hook onto the Bettys and bring one down, and two others did not return due to unknown reasons. This is probably a good time to invite you to listen to my episode on the Black Widow, if you haven't already. It's one of my favorites. Raids continued for the next two months, although they did not have much of an effect, and they were called off after January 2nd, 1945. 80 Japanese aircraft of various types, including Betty's, had been sent to attack Saipan and Tinian and had successfully destroyed 11 B-29s and damaged about 45 more. They had killed 45 U.S. servicemen and had wounded over 200. For this, they had lost about 37 Japanese aircraft. The raids were decided to be too small to be of any real value, and from that point on, the IJN decided to save their aircraft for later battles over the home islands. One of the later taskings of the Betty reflected the desperation of the Empire of Japan at that point. This was in hauling the Yokosuka MXY-7 Oka, which was the manned, rocket-powered flying bomb. Basically, it was an air-to-surface missile with a 2,600-pound warhead, except that the guidance system was a human being. 852 Okas were built. The name means cherry blossom, but U.S. servicemen called them Baka Bombs. Baka being Japanese for fool or idiot. The procedure was for the Betty's mothership to carry the Oka to within 23 miles of the target, where it would be dropped and glide towards the enemy ship. When close enough, the Oka had three solid-fuel rockets that the pilot could fire, either one at a time or all at once, to propel the Oka into the side of the target ship. Most Oka attacks occurred against U.S. shipping invading Okinawa, and although some ships were sunk or damaged, the effect against the American effort was negligible. The Americans simply extended their air defenses to beyond the range of the released Oka, and of course the Bedi-Oka combination was a very slow and vulnerable target. Following is the abridged text of messages exchanged between General MacArthur and the Japanese General Headquarters. August 15th, 9.52 AM Pursuant to the acceptance of the terms of surrender of the Allied Powers by the Empire of Japan, the Japanese Imperial Government and the Japanese Imperial Headquarters, the Supreme Commander for the Allied Powers hereby directs the immediate cessation of hostilities by Japanese forces. The Supreme Commander for the Allied powers is to be notified at once of the effective date and hour of such secession of hostilities, whereupon the Allied forces will be directed to cease hostilities. The Supreme Commander further directs the Japanese Imperial government to send to his headquarters at Manila, Philippine Islands, a competent representative empowered to receive certain requirements for carrying into effect the terms of the Surrender. Procedure for transport of the above party under safe conduct is prescribed as follows. The party will travel in a Japanese airplane to an aerodrome on the island of Le Shima, from which point they will be transported to Manila, Philippine Islands in a United States airplane. They will be returned to Japan in the same manner. The party will employ an unarmed airplane, which will be painted all white and will bear upon the side of its fuselage and the top and bottom of each wing green crosses easily recognizable at 500 yards. The airplane will be capable of in-flight voice communications in English on a frequency of 6.970 kilocycles. The airplane will proceed to an aerodrome on the island of Lashima, identified by two white crosses prominently displayed in the center of the runway. Weather permitting, the airplane will depart from Sataka Misaki between the hours of 0800 and 1100 Tokyo time on the 17th day of August 1945. In communications regarding this flight, the code designation BATAN will be employed. The airplane will approach Lushima on a course of 180 degrees and circle the landing field at 1,000 feet or below the cloud layer until joined by an escort of United States Army P-38s, which will lead it to a landing. Such escort may join the airplane prior to arrival at Lushima. Signed, MacArthur. The answer from the Japanese was, quote, The planes are middle-winged monoplanes, twin-engined, middle-sized bombers with cigar-shaped fuselages resembling that of a B-26, Close quotes. Recognize that? Sure. They were going to use two unarmed Betty bombers. Actually, one of them was a G4M1L2, which was the transport version, and the second plane was a standard G-4M-1 bomber modified as a transport. One of them still had bullet holes from previous combat. The two Bettys were painted up in the requested colors, all white with green crosses instead of the red meatballs. And on the morning of August 19th, Japanese delegates boarded the airplanes for their unknown destination. Even the pilots did not know as they took off. There was a sincere worry that if the destination was widely known, then certain Japanese pilots who were not ready to give up the fight might take matters into their own hands, take off, fly up to, and shoot down the delegates' aircraft in order to try to prevent or delay the surrender. Once airborne, the pilots of the Bettys opened up their sealed orders read them, and turned for L'Oshima. The flight to L'Oshima was successful. Along the way, 12 American Lockheed P-38 Lightnings joined in with their job of escorting the Bettys. Their stated, you know, serious mission didn't stop them from flying around joyfully above and below the formation doing acrobatics and diving past the two slow Bettys. I mean, do you blame them? Additional top cover was provided by a formation of B-25s. The only real hitch in the procedure was when the second Betty touched down, the pilot neglected to use flaps and landed very hard. Well, as the saying goes, any landing you can walk away from is a good landing, right? Actually, there would be consequences due to this rough landing. After the delegates had finished their business, It was time for them to again climb into their white-painted bettys to return to Japanese territory. However, the pranged-up betty was not ready to fly yet until damage had been repaired. There wasn't enough space in the airworthy betty, so the party divided, making sure that both groups had copies of the all-important documents to complete their mission. The first Betty departed, and those on board probably thought that they were the lucky ones to get the good plane. As it had been a long, stressful day, the passengers fell asleep. Imagine their shock then, when, around midnight, the sleepy delegates were urgently awoken by the pilot to tell them to prepare for a crash landing. The airplane was leaking fuel, and the pilot was heading for the nearest landfall. The delegates put on their life jackets and worried about the precious documents. In the end, they were entrusted to Katsuo Akazaki, who had represented Japan as a runner in the 1924 Olympics. If anyone was going to make it and protect the precious documents, then it would be him. Soon enough, the engines started running roughly, then one quit, and then the other. They hadn't made land yet, and the Betty splashed down into the ocean. Doors were opened, and as the crew and delegates jumped out, they must have been surprised and relieved when the water reached only to their knees. The Betty was sitting in the surf just off a beach near Hamamatsu, 130 miles from Tokyo. Everyone was OK, and the documents were safe. A fisherman was waved down and brought the little party to where they could use a phone and call Hamamatsu Air Base for help. The group arrived in Tokyo around the same time as the other group did with their now repaired Betty. Neither of these two white painted Bettys survived, although they really should have been saved for historical purposes. The one that crash landed on the beach later submerged and was not salvaged. The other Betty was later purposefully set on fire and destroyed. Survivors. It seems pretty remarkable that this ubiquitous Japanese medium bomber has no surviving examples. Sure. Perhaps having an airworthy model would be too much to ask, but I can't even identify any bodies that have been restored to even static models. I find it unusual that none would have survived after the war by being kept on as cargo or transport aircraft and then eventually into the hands of collectors or museums. The only Bettys that I have found out there are either wrecks, displayed as wrecks, or in pieces. There's an example at the Plains of Fame Air Museum in Chino, California. The Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum has parts of a Betty, which, although not complete, are thought to be the best-preserved examples of this aircraft. They have the nose, including the entire flight deck, and 10 feet of the fuselage. This aircraft, and 145 others, were brought to the United States on the deck of a U.S. aircraft carrier for testing and evaluation. Unfortunately, after the testing was done, this Betty was unceremoniously hacked up, and the parts eventually ended up in the museum.